to preach a message tonight that uh, I preached before here. It's been almost six years to the day that I preached this message in uh, 1997. But I believe God would have me preach it again here tonight. Amen. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to talk about spiritual leaven. Beware of spiritual leaven. Now we live in an age when the tolerance for sin is at an all-time high. You know, in the headlines of the news almost every day on the radio, they're talking about sodomy and laws that restrict sodomy. That restricts sodomite marriage as it should. Amen. And uh, this is in the political forefront right now. And uh, we know that this is a blindness. This is a lack of the fear of God in our nation. But the church is not far behind. Because you can go in your average church in America, even conservative churches, and sin is utterly tolerated. Pastors will admit that multitudes in their congregation are not living lives worthy of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But they have been conditioned to believe that Christian love obligates them to tolerate and to put up with such sin. But the Bible doesn't teach that. You know, I think Bible teaching would be shocking to much of the Christian world. True Bible teaching is shocking to that religious mind because we, we've been so removed from the doctrines of the New Testament. The obvious things. Things that just your average person, even someone not, not regenerated, if they just read the Bible with a sincere heart, just read the New Testament, they couldn't come away with any other impression. There's a spirit of deception at work, amen, in the professing church in this hour. We need to beware of spiritual leaven. Let's see what the Holy Ghost has to say to the Apostle Paul. Starting in verse 6, your glorying or feeling of confidence or boasting, your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Lord, we just come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. We ask you, Lord, for your divine authority, for your power, for unction and anointing, Father, that makes the preaching and teaching of the Word of God effectual. Open our hearts to receive, Lord. Establish us in righteousness. Give us conviction, Father. I I pray, Lord, you build our faith in your Word. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen to God. Leaven is yeast. That's the term that we use Today, to describe leaven is yeast, and it is a bacterial fungus or a mold, and so therefore it is an appropriate symbol for sin. Whenever you see the term leaven, or you see the term yeast, or pardon me, just leaven, that's what's used in the Bible, then it's always referring, it's a type of sin. 
and it grows in bread, and that's where we most commonly think, when we think yeast, we associate that with bread. It grows in bread just like in the Spirit. The leaven of sin grows in an individual life or a local church. I looked up leaven in Webster's 1828 Dictionary, and it gave this def- definition. A mass of sourdough which mixed with a larger quantity of dough or paste produces fermentation in it and renders it light. Amen? In the natural, all it takes is a little leaven to affect the whole loaf. How many of you ever baked bread or seen bread bake or understand the principle? You've seen the little packs of yeast that you can buy. It's just a little pack. little, you know, a little small pack like a pack of Kool-Aid. And yet you may have a bowl full of dough. Amen? This big around, this deep. Yeah, just a little, and it renders the whole loaf even affected by that leaven. Just a little sin, likewise, can ruin a spiritual life. Amen. It can ruin a soul. It can ruin a church in which it's tolerated. Now, that's not a popular thought in this hour. The thought is to overlook, amen, that grace and mercy means to just, you know, kind of uh, sweep things under the rug and turn your eyes and not to look at these things. But the Bible never teaches us to do that. Jesus often used the term leaven. And he, and he was using it to draw a picture of the effects of spiritual compromise. I believe that Jesus used illustrations like this because He knew that this was something common for the people. That they made bread every day, sometimes several times a day. It was a very familiar activity and they understood the process. And as He used these kind of uh, familiar circumstances and activities as a backdrop for His teaching, I believe the Spirit of God was able to take those truths and quicken and reveal divine truth to the mind of His hearers. Now, you know, bread making, that's not so common in our hour for us to make bread from scratch. We go to Walmart, and even if we bake bread, we buy the, you know, the pre-made up rolls or what have you. But uh, if you'll just uh, bear with me, if you'll just meditate, it's not a very complicated process, but if you'll just meditate on what it is to prepare a, a, a loaf of bread to be baked, then you'll see this spiritual truth perhaps like you've never seen it before. We're going to examine tonight what the Bible says about spiritual leaven. And we're going to look at the types, the types of leaven. We're going to look at the characteristics of leaven. We're going to look at the components, amen, within the leavening process. And we're going to look at the effects of spiritual leaven. And not only that, I'm not going to leave you there, amen. I'm going to show you the remedy, or rather the preventative. That really is what we want to do, amen. We want to prevent this. We don't want to have to become leavened, amen, that we have to exercise the remedy. But the remedy and the preventative is the same, amen. And we're going to see that finally tonight, amen. Now, the Bible teaches there's three types of spiritual leaven. There's false doctrine, there's sin, and there's hypocrisy. And I'm going to establish that, first of all, out of the Bible. Amen? I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 16 and verse 6. And these things, as we mentioned them, these types of leaven, if they're not progressive... What I mean by progressive is one 
usually leads to the other. That's the ordinary way that you see these things. Generally, that they're progressive. But if they're not progressive, they're always associating. Wherever you find one of these types of leaven, you will find the others. Wherever you find one of these types of spiritual leaven, you will definitely find the other. Amen. First Corinthians 5 and 7, we read that. It says, purge out, therefore, the old leaven. Now, I want you to notice that this is presented in the language of a command. It's not optional. It's God's teaching on spiritual leaven. Amen. He doesn't say if you feel like it, if it's popular. He said, purge these things out. False doctrine, sin, and hypocrisy. Amen. God hates mixture. Throughout the Bible, He's always condemned mixture, and He commands purity. And purity, amen, is to be in the Christian life, to be single-minded, of a single heart, toward the Lord Jesus Christ. There could be no division of spirit. But the first leaven is false doctrine. And we see it says that Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, and the Sadducees. And then look at verse 12. He defines what that is. Then understood they how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, because they were reasoning among themselves about bread and the natural, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. False theology is error, and error is leaven. False doctrine is leaven. And you know, again, contrary to popular thought, Jesus is concerned about doctrine or what is being taught and what is being heard in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe I've touched on this a good bit. No need to really go in depth in it. But, you know, in this hour, the idea that doctrine is bad or doctrine is divisive. Amen. And doctrine is indeed divisive, and it should be. Amen. I don't come to send peace. I come to bring a sword. I'll divide a man. I'll, I'll make enemies out of two people according to the Word of Almighty God. It's going to serve that purpose sometimes. And separation and division is Many times biblical. But in this hour, they say, well, we don't deal with doctrine because doctrine is divisive. But, you know, would it surprise us that Jesus would be concerned about what's being said in His name? Is that surprising that Jesus would be concerned about what men are saying in regards to the heart and the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ? Would you be concerned if someone said they represented you and yet they misrepresented everything you believed and taught? You'd be very concerned about it. So people that say that, they don't have an understanding of the Lordship of Christ. We know the Bible, there's an admonition that says, Take heed unto thyself and to the doctrine. Amen. That settles everything. I need to take heed to my doctrine. Why? The Bible says. I don't need any, any kind of other philosophy to back that up. I have the Scripture telling me that it's important. But false theology or false doctrine is eleven. To whatever degree our notions of God are perverted, to the same degree we're going to be in lack in our spiritual life. And that is a truth. Now, false doctrine can be defined as that which is contrary, no matter whether it's subtle or otherwise. 
If it's active, in other words, men are saying things that are not found in the Word of God, or it's passive. What do you mean? Men are refusing to say what's in the Word of God. And that's what you have a lot of times in this hour. The false teacher and the false prophet, it's not so much what they say, but what they refuse to say. They won't deal, they won't give the people what they need to grow in the Spirit. The leaven of false doctrine, it's transferred by the mouth, which is symbolic of the preacher. Amen. It's never going to be in that pew until first it's, number one, either ignored by the pulpit, it's ignored by the pulpit, amen, or it comes across that pulpit. That's how that leaven remains. That leaven of false theology remains in that local church. Revelation 16 and 13 says, And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. That represents, amen, false doctrine, false theology, and it comes to that preacher. You know, we had a visitor not long ago, a preacher, sat through the service, and afterwards I had a talk with him, and he was just, you know, we were just fellowshipping, talking about different things. And he asked me if I was part of a certain charismatic organization. I told him no, but I had been to several meetings before. And, uh, you know, I said, I said, I've seen a lot of bad things since I've been a Christian. Preached to Sodomites and heard them blaspheme and mock the name of Jesus and say unspeakable things about the Lord Jesus Christ. But I told him the worst things that I've ever seen as a Christian took place in those pastors' meetings. And he looked a little bit shocked and he, he responded with one of these, you know, little cliché, little spiritual sayings that we live by. Amen. Like we're not perfect, we're just forgiven, but it's not the Bible. Amen. And it brings death and destruction upon righteousness. But he said, well, you know what they say, just, you know, spit out the bones and eat the meat. I said, they're not serving bones, they're serving poison. I know there's a truth in that. Amen. I listen to preachers sometimes where every little thing they say, I don't agree with them. There's nothing brazenly defying the Word of God. But listen to me, this is what we need to come to realize in this hour. That speaking anything contrary to Scripture is dangerous. Amen? Anything contrary to Scripture is a dangerous thing. Why is that, Brother Britt? Because the Bible says just a little leaven. We're establishing, number one, that leaven is false doctrine. So just a little bit of false doctrine is, it has its repercussions. Titus 2 and 1 says, Speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. That's the commandment. If I'm to speak, whether in this pulpit or outside this pulpit, let me never utter something contrary or that undermines the doctrine of God. It's an important thing. But you know, generally the devil's servant, when we think about false teachers and false prophets, we think about something obvious. But you know, the devil's not going to come levitating down the aisle with a bone in his nose. That's not the way that he deceives individuals. No, it says in Second Corinthians chapter 11, And no marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as ministers of righteousness. 
In other words, they may speak some truth. And that's the whole idea of false theology. It's sometimes a lot of truth with a little bit of error. You know, if I, I were to take a good home-cooked meal, amen, and I were to put that before you, all it needs is a drop of strychnine to make it deadly. Amen. That's all it needs, just a drop of strychnine. You may say, well, there's a lot of nutrition there. Yeah, nutrition is not going to do anything for a man that's dead. And they have a lot of, a lot of things you can, you know, uh, it tastes good, it smells good. But if it's poison, it'll kill you. So most of the time, false theology is fashioned that way. But it says, a whose end shall be according to their works. See, that's the key. You'll know them by their fruit. They may say the right thing, but if they don't live this Bible, then you had better get away from them. Amen? Doctrinal error often springs from a life that's fallen into sin and compromised. And now there's a theology they're going to use to justify a life that's separated and severed from God. And let me tell you something. That's the natural man's tendency that when we get into sin or if we fall into sin, then we want to justify ourselves. That's part of that Adamic nature. Adam fell. He said, it's his wife you gave me. Trying to justify himself. Well, you know, if he had just continued in that, he would have come up with a theology to match it. That's exactly where all the error that's ever come down the pike in church history, it sprang out of men that haven't lived the truth. Jesus said, He that does the will of God, He'll know the doctrine. Amen. That tells me if you don't do the will of God, you're going to be deceived. You're not going to really know what the truth is. The living or false doctrine will manifest itself in one or two forms. In either adding or taking away from the Word of God. In Revelation chapter 22, it says, If any man shall add unto these things, things meaning the Word of God, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life. Amen. Adding and taking away from the Word of God. And that represents the two extremes of false Christianity. The two extremes of religion. Whenever you find error, false Christianity, you can know. If you just go down to the bottom and the root and the foundation of that thing, it's because they've either added or taken away from the Word of God. Now, twice in the New Testament, we have this phrase, a little leaven, leaveneth the whole lump. Only twice in the Bible. Once is in Galatians chapter 5, and it's when the apostle is obviously addressing legalism or adding to the Word of God. And then the next time it's used is here in our text in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and it's obviously dealing with the tolerance of sin. You know what that is? To tolerate sin, you've got to remove or negate some of the Word of God. That's taking away from the Word of God. That's that leaven. Amen? A taking away or an adding of the Word of God, and it always brings death. Eleven of false doctrine. Amen. To add to the Word of God is to divert men's faith away from the Lord Jesus Christ and His finished work at Calvary. Amen. That's how we're justified. That's how we're sanctified. By His work at Calvary. And our faith must rest in Him and Him alone. However, we know that faith 
in the finished work of Christ will always produce a corresponding life of obedience. We judge our lives by behavior. We're not saved by our behavior. Amen? Our behavior reveals where the root of our faith is. Amen? If we're not living in faith, we're going to be living in sin. And sin is going to damn us. The only way to be set free from sin is by faith in the finished work of God. To add is to divert. To make men look at something other than Jesus Christ for salvation. To take away from the Word of God is to seek to turn the narrow way into the broad way. It's to be inclusive where God does not want to be inclusive. It's to give men the impression that they're right when they're wrong. Amen? And both these extremes are wrong. That's the first type of leaven. Amen? The second type, amen, this first form or type of leaven, false doctrine, often leads to the next. And the next is the leaven of sin. It says here in 1 Corinthians 5, it says it is reported commonly, and this is how this chapter begins, it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. In other words, it's common. I'm hearing there's people living in sin in that local church. There's sin there. And he addresses it as leaven. He says your glory is not good. Your self-confidence your overconfidence, your boasting is not good. Know ye not that a little leaveneth, leaven the whole lump? He's trying to bring them back to spiritual reality. What are you doing? Are you mad? Have you lost your spiritual mind? That you've allowed this in your midst? You're going to bring death on everybody. Your glorying is not a good thing. It's, a, in other words, your self-confidence, your, your willingness to overlook this, your willingness to just ignore it, to turn the head, not to deal with it. You may call it love, a good thing. You may call it mercy, a good thing. But God said it's not good. It's bad. That's what they do in this hour. They think it's a good thing that the churches are filled with people that brazenly live contrary to the Word of God. The Bible didn't say it's good. The Bible said it's a terrible thing. The Bible said it's pride. That's what it is. Amen. Now, they would call these individuals that allow such things, they would say it's proud and judgmental to apply church discipline to these things. But the Bible says it's proud not to apply church discipline to it. So we need to live by God's definition and not by man's. Amen. In the first chapter, we find the apostle. He's, a, he's dealing with the less than perfect theology of the Corinthian church. Amen. I'm trying to show you that there's a progression here. That's the first thing that he deals with. And if you read through the first four chapters, basically, he's addressing a lot of different things, but he deals with the error and the heresy and the division and the secretarian spirit among them. Where they're saying, one baptized me and this one baptized me. But then, amen, he deals now with the sin. That's the results of the false theology. And we can never escape the theology that we believe is going to shape what sort of Christians we are. That's an inescapable spiritual law. Hence the principle holds true. As truth makes free, error always fosters bondage 
to sin. And sin always brings forth death. You've heard Brother Clinton say it before. And what a great, profound point. Just the truth. These are the kind of things when you hear them that it's obvious. It's something that all Christians ought to know. But it's good to be reminded when he said nothing ever dies without sin. And that's the truth. That's, that's a foundational or fundamental truth is there is. If there had never been sin, there had never been death. Nothing dies without sin. Amen. If it's dying, then there's sin there. You can rest assured. And sin is always strengthened. It is always encouraged by a false doctrine. A case in point. You know, and this, of course, is obvious, but once saved, always saved, are the doctrine of unconditional eternal security. That's very popular among the folks who go out here to Illusions Club. They cite it from time to time. It's a popular doctrine for people that live in compromise. Who doesn't want If I'm living in gross sin, no wonder I want to believe that I'm saved no matter what I do. I was raised under that demonic lie. And there's nothing more demonic than that false doctrine. And I believed it until I got born again. But one of the reasons that it appealed to me is because I hated God. And I wanted to go to heaven, but I didn't want the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that lie appealed to my sin nature. And remember, it only requires a little unconfronted, unconfessed, unrepentant sin to bring spiritual destruction. Not a lot. Amen. You, you know, you talk to people. I've heard pastors say this. Brother, what about the sin? And they say, well, I don't have a lot of sin. I just have a little bit of sin. Well, a little is enough to live in the whole lump. Just a little bit is all it takes. Amen. Well, finally, Apostle, he's rebuking that Corinthian church. He said, your glory is not good. Simply meaning their overconfidence while violating a clear scriptural principle is not good, but bad. And, and it, it's a proud thing for men to suppose that they can overlook and not deal with sin, whether that's in their own life or whether it's in the life of a local church, and then yet still believe they can survive. Nobody's going to survive. Hey, don't be deceived. Amen. These that commit such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. You know, one time I did a study, just went through the New Testament. Everywhere it says, don't be deceived. And the church would just believe. Those, I can't remember exactly how many things, four, five, six, seven things that are prefaced with that admonition. Don't be deceived. If the church would just believe those four, five, six admonitions of Scripture, it would utterly change the spiritual landscape in America. Because they've redefined every one of those things. Because the devil knows if he can turn the church, amen, away from sound theology, cause them to walk in compromise, then they'll never receive the light until they repent. Amen. That's why there's such a warfare toward these things. Amen. First Corinthians 15 and 33 says, Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. I've got friends of mine. God bless them. Although I don't know if He can bless them in these situations. But they're in churches where they're having to fight to do what God told them to do. That's what they have to do to live the spiritual life that God's called them to live. And yet in their minds, someone has told them 
that perhaps they can change the course of that whole local church. That is nowhere found in the Bible. Both ways, if I as a pastor allow someone to come in here who is called a brother living in gross sin, I may not know about it. If, I'm not, if I don't know about it, amen, then I'm not obligated to deal with it. But I'm going to be looking to find something if I can. And t- a little bit of time, especially in a church that's established the way it ought to be established, things are going to rise to the surface. And then I must deal with it. If I don't deal with it, amen, if I don't correct, if I don't say, you're going to have to make a decision. You're not going to just boldly defy God and remain here. Then death is going to enter this place. That's true for the local church from the pulpit. But likewise, if you or I were to enter into a local assembly that was riddled with compromise, amen, and we have in our mind it's not going to affect us, we're deceived. Our growing is not good. Eventually, amen, we'll be leavened. We've got to either separate, we've got to separate from it, or either it's got to repent. Amen. The second thing, or the third type of leaven, is the leaven of hypocrisy. Luke 12 and 1, Jesus said, Beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Amen. As I mentioned, false doctrine usually leads to sin, and then sinful religion evolves into hypocrisy. Men begin to compromise. They begin to live contrary to the Word of God, and now they have to cover that. They have to make excuses and justifications for it instead of repentance. That's hypocrisy. Hypocrisy, according to Webster's Dictionary, is simulation of feigning to be what one is not, or a dissimulation, a concealment of what one's real character or motives are. That's what it is. In other words, I'm trying to present myself as something that I'm really not. Amen? Or I'm trying to hide or cloak what I really am. That's what hypocrisy is. Now, hypocrisy occurs when either or both of the two forms of leaven are allowed to continue without correction. You don't correct false theology, whether it be in your individual life. What are you talking about? Your notions about God, who He is. Amen. You better get yourself in the Bible and you had better learn the Word of God and saturate yourself with the Word of God. And, and set your mind and set your heart on the right revelation of who God is. Amen. And in the church, that has to be dealt with from the top on down. But if that, if that false theology is allowed, then sin is going to come in. And if that's not corrected, then hypocrisy is going to begin to take over. When the church teaches error, when sin abounds, and the perversion of Scripture is cited for justification. You know, let me tell you something. It's terrible that men sin. It's awful that they teach doctrines contrary to the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's a real tragedy when they use the Bible to try to justify themselves. That's a sign of a reprobate mind, of someone that's been moved outside of the light and they're now in the shadows. But whenever you see these three things take place, the full cycling of leavening is complete. And hypocrisy, the last form, that's the most dangerous spiritual state that a man or a church can really be in. Because that's self-deception. We talked about it Sunday morning. It says, be a doer of the Word and not a hearer only. They've got a lot of hearers only. 
A lot of them. Professional Bible hearers. Professional Bible quoters. Amen. But not Bible doers. The Bible says if you hear, amen, but you refuse to do, then you deceive your own self. Self-deception is the most rampant form of deception in the American church. Amen. If men refuse to allow God, and see, this is why it's so dangerous. If men will refuse to allow the Bible to correct them, when they read the Bible every day, then what makes us think they're going to listen to us? They're not. If they can read that Bible every day, I'm talking about religious hypocrisy. People that read the Bible, go to church, hear preaching, and, then they, and, and by and by they hear things that should correct them, that should deal with their heart. But they harm their heart and stiffen their neck to the correction. Amen. That I tell you what the Bible says, the destruction is going to come speedily. And there's going to be no remedy for it. Absolutely no remedy for it. Amen. So the progression is expressed here. We see it in the Bible verse, James chapter 1, verses 14 through 15. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Amen. He's tempted and enticed by the lie. Then when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin. Obedience, submission to the lie brings forth sin. And when sin is finished, it bringeth forth death. And then there is someone that abides under the name of the living who's in fact dead. And that's nothing more than hypocrisy. So we see the progression here. And we see the same pattern in the fall of man. First, there was what? False doctrine. There was a lie. The devil came and said, you know, question God's Word. Hath God said? He's always going to bring the Word of God into question. Amen. And then he said, oh, if you break the commandment, you'll not surely die. Oh, out of doctrine, I once saved, always saved. That's exactly what it is. Cast thyself down, just like the devil told Jesus, and God will hold thee up. Oh, no, he said, don't you tempt the Lord your God. Nobody's to tempt Him. If you sin, that sin will kill you. Right. The devil lies in this hour. First the lie, then the sin, which is the practicing of the lie. And finally, hypocrisy, which is a spirit that refuses to repent of the sin and return to the truth. Amen. Now, seeing these things are so, that this is the scriptural truth, isn't it an amazing thing in this hour that any zeal, I want you to hear me, any zeal against heresy, any zeal against sin, any zeal against hypocrisy is seen as uncharitable. You know, if you go to one of these cell groups, I remember they weren't called cell groups years ago. But I used to go to a little Friday night Bible study with a lot of different churches that would come. And, you know, their practice was they'd quote a scripture and go around the circle that everybody comment. And you'd just hear about anything. And, you know, it'd come to me and I'd be using the term sin and wicked and evil. And before long, just five minutes into a testimony like that, I've got the whole Bible study in an uproar. And they, they, they're giving me the old mys and the now-nows. Now, I can tell you with the old mys and the now-nows, that's not in the Bible. When you begin to say something, they say, now, now, brother. Yeah, I guarantee you, that's a religious demon saying that. The Holy Ghost never talked to anybody like that. He's going to say, the Bible said, brother, that ain't the Scripture. But see, it's a flattering Spirit. They can, now, brother, I preach 
appreciate your zeal and I appreciate your hatred for sin, but don't you think that that's just a little unmerciful and a little unloving? You see, it's an amazing thing when we read the Scriptures in parallel, amen, the New Testament theology and doctrine to the doctrines and the mindset of today's church. If you show a passion against sin, you've got to hate sin. Hate sin. Hate evil. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Amen. Jesus in Hebrews 1 and 9 says He hated iniquity. He loved righteousness. The fear of God is to hate evil. That's what it is. I would give a plug nickel for a man's soul that I couldn't listen to in five or ten minutes. Figure out that he hates sin. That's what I want to see. He hates sin. Well, if he hates sin, I know he loves God. Amen. Because sin is the enemy of God. The next thing we're going to look at is the characteristics of the leavening process. Amen. And I want you to imagine yourself preparing a loaf of bread. I want you to put your bowl out there. Get your flour. Amen. Your water. Your salt. Your sugar. These different things. And we're just going to go through this process. And we're going to see certain characteristics. And we're going to parallel these things to the Spirit. Now keep in mind, three types of spiritual leaven as defined by the Scriptures. False doctrine, sin, and heresy. Amen? So what actually takes place in this process of leavening? Just like you and I take a bowl of dough and we begin to leaven it or put yeast to it, and then the effects begin to take place, the same process in the natural takes place in the spirit. There are certain characteristics of that process. Number one, there is mixture. There is mixture. Leaven is not part of the original, but it must be added for the desired effect. Amen. There's not leaven in that new creature. There's not leaven in that holy church. It was never God's intention. It's not there to be put out. It's outside there to come in. And once it comes in, it's got to be purified. Got to be purged. But don't think, well, we all have a little leaven. No, we don't. If we're born again, God created and everything He does create is perfect. And He said it's good. No, it comes in. The devil, amen, puts it or interjects it. Amen. And what actually takes place here? You know, that bread will never rise if you don't add yeast to it. It's not part of the original. So the whole process begins with a mixture. The second thing is fermentation or the breakdown of complex molecules in organic organic compounds. What, what exactly does that mean? Death takes place. There's a death that happens. Amen? And whenever there's death, if there's no death, you know, you and I can go home, we can eat a whole pack of that, of that yeast. You can swallow three or four packs. It's not going to do a thing to you because in that living state, your body has been equipped to purge it right on out. It has absolutely no effect except for God will use that which should leaven you, which should begin a fermenting process. He'll use it for your own nutrition. And you let a church be alive. 
Amen. Whatever comes in to destroy it, Amen. God will expose it. Amen. He'll deal with it and He'll use it to strengthen the body as He either puts it to the altar and gets it right or purges it out. Amen. You get an individual that's right with God and whatever the devil seeks to use, Amen, to destroy that person, tempt that person, then that person's going to be raised up and edified in strength if they resist the devil and do the will of God. Amen. Fermentation in Webster's Dictionary is, it may be defined in the most general sense as any spontaneous change which takes place in animal or vegetable substance after life has ceased. Amen. It's fermentation. The grape has to be dead. Amen. For it to be fermented into alcohol. Amen. The wheat has to be sifted and ground. It has to be dead. It can't be a living organism if it's going to be used. Amen. In that, in that leavening process. So there's fermentation. The next thing, and I want you to hear this, unnatural growth. Unnatural growth. You know, you put yeast in bread and it causes it to unnaturally rise or grow. That's not natural. It's not natural for that bread to rise like that. You can take fried water, mix it together all day. You can spread it out on wax paper, put it out in the sun. Hey man, you can heat it up, you can cool it down, you can blow on it, you can do anything. It's not going to rise until you add that foreign substance of yeast or leaven to it. Then it's going to grow. It's unnatural. It's not normal. Unnatural because without the effects of eleven, there would be no growth. You know, the only way for bread to really legitimately grow is to add more bread to it. And you know, if the church is going to legitimately grow, let it be added to with real, true, born again believers. Amen. Let it really be someone born again. Growth due to leavening is caused, and this is what it's caused by in the natural, by gases produced by fermentation. And leavening, it will generally increase the size of that loaf of bread three to ten times its original. It gives the appearance of solid growth due to added mass. In other words, you look at a loaf of bread, if you didn't know what it was, you'd have some past history and experience with it, you may say, I bet that weighs about five pounds. And you pick it up and it's light. Why? Because it's not mass. It has a, it has a deceiving quality. It's a mirage, really. It looks like that it's weighty, full of substance, but it's really just some hot gas. That's what it is. Amen. And this should make us wonder about those ten or a hundred fasting growing churches in America. What is that growth? Is it real? Amen. Is it God? And they grow so fast. It seems unnatural. Everybody goes there. There seems to be no standard. I'm telling you, it's loving. Yes, it is. Come on. That's what it is. We have, I have a friend. Pastor friend, amen, and he moved to a town in another state, started a church, kind of went the way of the user-friendly church. And in just a few years, he had 1,500, I don't know how many people, a lot of people, a whole lot of people. You know, when you hear reports like that, you want to be, you know, I, I, I want to believe that people, I want to believe people get born again. I want to believe everybody that professes to be a Christian is a Christian. 
But I'm not going to be stupid, amen? I'm not going to, I'm not going to separate myself from the principles of Scripture so that I can live detached with a report that seems to be right that's wrong. And so I know that sometimes when you hear these reports of churches just blowing out the walls in three or four years, amen, that's not, you know, a lot of people hear that and say, that's where we need to go. God's moving, amen, they're there, just started with ten people, and in two years they've got a thousand. No, you might better wait, and you might better say, we need to be careful. That's unnatural. That's unnatural growth. The next characteristic is modification. Leaven will spread through the entire substance, causing a gradual change. It takes hours. How many of you have ever baked bread and put it out? We, we, we get those little yeast rolls from Walmart. We don't make them from scratch. But we do have to see that they rise. And so we'll take them and put them, you know, put them out in the, in the, in the van, in the, in the heat, and see if they'll rise. Put them on top of the stove top and, and make them warm and see if they'll rise. Because, you know, unless there's some heat, those things are not going to rise up. There's a modification that takes place. But it doesn't happen in five minutes, amen. It happens only over time. It's a gradual process. And hence the change in our life. Our church will more than likely be gradual. It will be undetected to the undiscerning eye. In other words, it's not always going to be overnight. It's not always going to be that just a church, you know, in a week or two weeks becomes compromising on an individual. It may take a long period of time. Spiritual leaven operates among its subjects as though something living, moving with a distinct purpose and tenacity. See, leaven is living. It's bacteria. It's a growth. It's alive. It has a will, so to speak, of its own. And when you meet people that are leavened and you begin to try to deal with them or you deal with the church, there's almost like there's an entity involved here. There's a blindness. There's, you know, this uh, for survival, self-preservation of that sin nature. Amen? The next characteristic is only a small amount is required to influence the whole. A little leaven leaveneth the whole up. Only takes a fraction of heresy. Only takes a fraction of sin or hypocrisy. And it can defile even a large group. That's why it's so important for us to know those who labor among us. That's a forgotten principle. A hundred years ago here in Woodville, Mississippi, your average person in their lifetime could probably not have the opportunity to hear but a handful of preachers. Because there'd be one ride through on horseback, one that'd come through on a wagon, have the local pastor in town, but they only have an opportunity to listen to four or five preachers and then under the scrutiny of local circumstances. But in this hour, there's not a one of us They couldn't hear a hundred preachers in one day and never know what they live like. Just turn on the radio or the television. God never intended it to be that way. He wants us to know those who labor among us. Amen. Because it's not what men say, it's how they live. Amen. 
<coughs> Hebrews 3 and 13 says, But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the, the deceitfulness of sin. Amen. The Scripture admonishes us to beware, to be alert, to be watchful for just a little living. But in this hour, it's very popular to be a sin-friendly church. You hear me? We're not going to preach to you. God forbid that we'd make you feel guilty. That's what they say. Listen to me. If you're in sin and you're here tonight, I pray that the most horrible, tormenting guilt would come over you, and that would be the will of God. That's what they say very boldly. There's a tendency to overlook doctrinal error. B, I need to go to the Bible. And if I have, there's been a thief coming here, and he says he's right with God, and I say, no, you're not right with God, and then I'm, I tell him, you're going to have to leave. And he says, I'm unmerciful. All I have to say is, I'm, I'm showing you just as much mercy as God is going to show you. If He's not going to let you into heaven, why should I let you remain in church except you repent? And of course, that's an obvious thing. But it's not practiced in this hour. You know why, as Pastor one time said, if you refuse to limit your message, you'll be required to limit your fellowship. And oh, that's the truth. Amen. If you refuse to back down, it just becomes very narrow. Not many people you can walk with. I believe there's times. Listen to me. I believe there's what I call. This is not a biblical term. But I just call it this for the lack of a better term. Covenant relationships. In covenant relationships, there can be absolutely no fellowship with unrepentant sin. All sin must be dealt with. All sin must be corrected. I believe in giving people space to repent, what have you. I believe in walking a thousand miles with somebody that says they want to do right. Just help me. Walk with me. Be honest. They're honest and they're not dabbling. They're, they're, they're up front. If they fall and they say, I've fallen, help me. I believe you walk with such a person. But when it comes to covenant relationships, what you're talking about? I have a covenant with God, amen, as an individual to maintain this spiritual life that's been given to me. The Bible says to examine yourselves to see whether you be in the faith or not. That's a covenant relationship. So in regards to my own life, I can never tolerate false notions about God. I can never tolerate sin or hypocrisy. Where's another covenant relationship? In that family. In that family. Amen. The husband, the head of the house, the parents, the head of the children, they need to deal and correct all the sin, all the false notions. Now, any hypocrisy needs to be dealt with. And also in the church, that's a covenant relationship. Amen. I have a covenant relationship with those here consuming fire fellowship. You're trusting me as the pastor of this church. Amen. Not to overlook unrepentant sin. Because it's deadly to you and to your children. Amen. And I am trusting you to maintain your own life. And to be real. And to be honest. And so there's an expectancy. Now outside of those covenant relationships, I believe perhaps there's a little more leeway. In other words, I may know a man. I'm not talking about brazen sin. If a man calls himself a brother, he's a fornicator or what have you. Not to even eat with such a one. But I'm talking about there's people that teach 
things that are not right. They don't know any better. Amen. That kind of thing. Well, I'm not going to let them in this pulpit to preach. I'm not inviting them over to my house to have devotions with my children. If they say something in this pulpit, in this church, or in my home that's contrary to the Word of God, then I'm going to have to correct it. But it doesn't mean that I can't reach out to them. Does everybody understand? I qualify. There's a lot we could talk about in regards to that. But I'll just leave it at that. Amen. But to do, amen, just to overlook or to brush things under the rug that's looked at as good, merciful, and holy in this hour. But the Bible says it's not good. Amen. Yet there's nothing more rejected in this hour than men that hate sin. It's a hated thing in this hour. That if you speak out against sin, if you speak out against heresy and hypocrisy, you're looked at as critical. But the Bible says a little leaven. Leaven of the whole lump. Amen. The next thing, the basic components of a leavening process. Amen. Just bear with me here as we go through these. There's certain conditions and there's certain elements. We talked about the characteristics. But now we're going to look at as specific elements or components that are essential to the leavening process. A lack of one or more of these components will, will hinder, if not completely stop, the entire mechanism. So all these things are absolutely necessary to leavening. And I want you to remember, whatever is true in the natural is true in the spirit in regards to this. Because Jesus Himself used this allegory or used this model here to represent the process of sin and false doctrine and hypocrisy in lives or in churches. The first component is lukewarm water. I remember my grandmother, she'd bake bread. And she'd take a little teeny glass. It was one she used every time. She kept it up on the counter. That was her bread-making little glass. And it was just a little bitty glass, and she'd go get tap water, and she'd get it hot. And when she'd get it hot, she'd fill it, and then she would add the yeast to that lukewarm water and stir it. And that's how she got it going. You see that? In that lukewarm water, it begins to, to, to operate. It's living. It's bacteria. And in that environment, it begins to thrive. And then she'd get over there and do everything with the door. And at a certain time, she'd add that lukewarm water mixed with that lemon. Well, we know Revelation chapter 3 says, I know thy works that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou were cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. So the parallel is clear. Amen. You get that lukewarm spirit and it's the prime target for leaven. You know, in the natural, the water has to be between 80 and 100 degrees. It just can't be boiling hot water. You pour leaven in boiling hot water, and it will kill the leaven. If the water is too cold, then the leaven's not going to grow. If it's too hot, then it's going to kill that living organism. So the application, I believe, is a spiritually dead, cold world. Tonight they got all kind of people out here, and they're nowhere in church. They're watching the nightly news, whatever. They're not interested. They're totally dead. And you 
you could go preach to them false theology, amen, or you could go preach to them the truth, they just as soon put a shotgun out the front door and blow you away. They're not interested in any of it because they're cold-hearted people. Oh, the devil's got to find somebody who's got a little bit of interest. Amen. You get a church that's blazing hot for God. Amen. Get a church that's on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ. And it will not give that leaven a place among them. It will bring death. Amen. To what brings death to them. Amen. It's ready always to kill everything. You get people that are really right with God. And they're just looking for an opportunity to take the devil's head off. Amen. They rejoice in slaying sin. They're not timid about it. Amen. They're looking for the devil to sneak around the corner. Amen. And they're going to take him down as soon as he does. Amen. They're always aware that there's a spiritual battle at hand. Amen. Spiritual leaven requires a people with a divided or a mixed heart. Those who want to go to heaven, but they refuse to forsake the world. They're the ones open. Luke warmness. The next component is leavening requires flour. Amen. You can't bake, bake, bake bread without flour. Remember in Luke 22 and 31, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. That flour, that's the main ingredients, even in this leavening process. And all that is, that wheat refers to souls that Satan desires to confuse and riddle and sift. Amen. And don't you know, he wants to make that holy lump unholy. He wants to leaven it. He wants to defile that which is hungry after God. And, you know, hunger is a good thing, but it has to be subject to God's principles and ordinances. How many of you know that Peter, the Apostle Peter, had to be a spiritually hungry man? He left all that he had to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. But you, you take a hungry person, and sometimes they're the easiest prey for deception because they have the tendency to eat everything that's set before them. You know, there's a good proverb, chapter 23 of Proverbs, verses 1 and 2 says, When thou sittest to eat with the ruler. Now, you're sitting to eat with the ruler tonight. Amen. You're sitting with someone who's in the fivefold ministry, and I'm serving you a meal. It says, When thou sittest to eat with the ruler, consider diligently what is set before thee, and put a knife to thy throat. And thou be a man given to appetite. What's that talking? I believe there's a natural application, but there's a spiritual application as well. When you sit down to hear the Word of God preached to you, you had better take the sword of the Spirit, and you better put it before your throat, and you better keep everything outside that's not of God. That the knife, the knife of the Spirit, judge everything. Amen. There's a lot of people given to spiritual appetite. And there's no discernment. They just partake of anything. Amen. The third thing, leavening also demands sugar. That's no surprise. You know, you've got to have a little sugar there. Amen. With that leaven to make it work. It says in Proverbs 20 and 17, Bread of deceit, amen, is sweet to a man, but afterwards his mouth shall be filled with gravel. Sugar, it helps. In browning, when you put sugar in bread, it helps to brown. It adds a certain flavor. Amen. But most of all, it provides a catalyst 
for, and this is the scientific reason, it provides a catalyst for the yeast. Amen. And that in the spirit is nothing more than positive, flattering, amen, ear-tickling, sin-excusing preaching where you go into these churches and you never hear not a word preached against sin. If they say anything direct, anything that's challenging, they apologize for it. Amen. In the next five minutes, there's no tendency to deal with sin. You've heard me say this before, but if I hear a man preach and I don't detect that he doesn't care what I think, then I know he can't be speaking as the oracles of God. Because God does not care what people think. It's the bold declaration of His truth. And God's not a nurse nanny trying to put spiritual new-news in everybody's mouth and make everybody happy. But that's the gospel that's promoted in this hour. So to that strange woman in the book of Proverbs, she's a type of that whorish church, a counterfeit bride, it says, even from the stranger which flattereth with her words, flattering preachers and a flattering gospel. Amen. It's a component of the leavening process. Now, the next thing, the fourth thing is kind of surprising. But salt is also needed for the leavening. Now, I can remember when I originally studied this out, how this spoke to me. Because I've experienced this in a local church, a couple local churches. I've seen this happen before my eyes. But salt is necessary. And true, just like sugar, it adds flavor, but there's also something scientific in the natural. Amen. It mainly controls the yeast action because that yeast will just run amok without salt. It'll just go crazy. You put a, a certain amount of yeast in bread dough and it's not got the right components. Amen. The salt will many times prevent it from just, you know, leavening the thing too fast and too much. And so you see the parallel in the Spirit is there's just enough truth to disguise the process. That's what salt represents. Amen. Jesus said, ye are the salt of the earth. He's talking about those that are true to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've been in churches where the red flags were waving and the, and the alarms were going off, ringing every servant, just hearing things that that ain't right. Oh, that's awful. And you know, my spirit teaching me, my spirit alarming me because the Spirit of God is quickening these verses coming to my mind. This is not right. Amen. We're drifting to the left or to the right. Maybe three, four, or five services in a row. And then behold, one Sunday morning, amen, the man preaches a message right down the pike. And it settles things down. Oh, well, that ain't so bad. Maybe, maybe we're really not going that far off. See, that salt there is to control the leavening process. Amen. That people don't begin to run because they see the devil. I'm not saying men, they don't recognize this. They're deceived. This is the spirit that operates, amen, behind these things. Amen. Let me tell you something. And the Holy Ghost is never afraid to tell people, judge what I'm preaching to you. In this hour, they'll tell you, if you judge me, you're a Pharisee. I'm telling you right now, you had better judge everything that I say across this pulpit, and you better judge it by the Bible. 
And if it's not the Bible, you better run for your life. You're not obligated to submit to something outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you are obligated to submit to the Word of God. Amen. In this hour, let me tell you something. The Spirit of God, He will invite people, amen, to judge Him by the Word. Because He inspired the Word. Someone's anointed, they're going to be preaching according to the Word of God. It says in 1 John chapter 2, These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. It goes on to say, You have no need that a man would teach you. That's not teaching that the fivefold ministry is not necessary in the New Testament dispensation. You can't have the perfecting of the church without the fivefold ministry. The Bible says, Submit yourselves. Amen. Obey those that have the rule over you. They watch for your soul. That, that's not saying that. It's saying this. I'm writing these things concerning seducers and false prophets. Meaning that God has given you, it says, I've given you that anointing. It teaches you all things. The Holy Ghost, by virtue of your regeneration, dwells within you and the whole world can go crazy. Even the minister you sit under. And if you listen to the Spirit of God and follow the Spirit of God, He will keep you from deception. Of course, He's going to tell you to separate from that which is wrong. Amen? And the last component, of course, is the leaven itself. And when you take that leaven, you mix it with lukewarm water, and you feed it to flour. Amen? Something that is without life. Wheat has life. Flour has none. Amen? That wheat has ceased to live. Amen. Then you give it sugar and you give it the right amount of salt and it would grow, it will grow and multiply every single time and so it is in the Spirit. Amen. Now what are the effects of this leaven? Well obviously first of all there's going to be an ever increasing acceptance of false doctrine which is going to give place to sin and except there be repentance it's going to bring forth hypocrisy. A lot of people, you know, there's so many, so much hypocrisy in the church in this hour. I was talking to somebody in Baton Rouge, and they were talking about a big, popular church there. And this person is a backslider, and he told me, he said, that place is the most awful, terrible place. Everybody I know that goes there lives in gross sin during the week, and then they all profess to be Christians. You know what that is? That's hypocrisy. Though if you call them hypocrites, they would be offended because they have a false theology that gives place to such a lifestyle. But we've got to allow the Bible to define things. Amen. You let that false doctrine remain. Sin is going to spring up and then hypocrisy to cover it. As the old saying goes, you give the devil an inch and he's going to take a mile. It just takes a little error, a little sin, a little hypocrisy, and it's going to ruin the whole of the lump every time. And that's what the Bible teaches. Amen. The second effect is there's going to be an appearance of success and prosperity. Leaven will obviously cause unnatural growth. And you know, in this hour, numerical success is everything. That's how America defines success by numbers. And I'll tell you, everything alive does grow, but not necessarily in size. Amen? Everything that is alive does grow, but not necessarily, amen, in size. 
And don't underestimate the, the potential attraction of a church with an atmosphere that accommodates sin, worldliness, and the flesh. It's an amazing thing sometimes when you tell people, well, you know, these big churches, the reason that people go is because their sin's not dealt with. And they almost roll their eyes as if, what a far-fetched idea. I mean, it makes perfect spiritual sense, doesn't it? Men are sinners. Men have a sin nature. Amen. They have a natural tendency. And that natural tendency is a ruling condition, a governing condition. It's the very impetus, the foundation, the catalyst for every single decision that they make in their life until they're born again. Would it surprise anybody that if they're not regenerated, they're going to be attracted to a church that may Makes room for that. That's exactly what they do. The Bible says they're of the world, and they speak of the world, and the world hears them. One day we were out in LSU preaching, and a group from one of the Bible colleges, MTI or whatever it's called, came out there, and they began to oppose us. And you know the sinners are very upset because we're telling them they had to repent. And one of the young men in the Bible school got up on a bench and kind of stole the show, you know, very disrespectful, in fact, amen, to the, to the work of God, began to preach his gospel to the same crowd that was very angry at us. And it wasn't long before they were clapping and cheering and shouting and giving him, you know, the high fives and the thumbs up. And, you know, when he got off the bench, Charlie pulled him to the side and quoted this verse to him. And immediately the young man became very, very convicted. He knew this scripture put light upon why would they applaud you? This is the world. Woe unto you when all men speak evil well of you. And you see, but we've forgotten this principle in the church. Amen. This is truly what sinful, unrepentant men who are bound by the sin nature want. They want a gospel that makes no demands of them. I told you not long ago, the average spirit-filled church in America, a man could go, he could join, amen, he could pay his tithes once a month, show up a couple times a month. It would never crimp his lifestyle. He'd never have to change unless perhaps he was a brazen, you know, drug addict or sodomite. I believe a lot of them may, you know, question him, and some of them wouldn't question him for that. But I'm talking, listen to me, that is sin. And that's awful, but the real crux of the matter is, who runs your life? Talking about the Lordship of Christ. And men could go there on their way to hell and join such churches, and it never even, nobody would ever even ask them a question. And they just come under the deception of believing they're right when they're wrong. Amen. There'll be that appearance of success and prosperity. On the exterior, such people and such places will have the appearance of life, but underneath the religious veneer, there's only death and decay. Just at first glance, there's a good first impression. But once you begin to dig in, you will find all kind of sin and compromise. There was a man that came to this church for a while. And he had been, you know, the first church he went to was one of the big churches with the soft gospel. And he said he went to the cell meetings. 
It said the people were getting slain in the spirit, and then they went outside and they almost had to establish a smoke pen for them to dip and smoke in after they so-called got slain in the spirit. And he said one of the leaders one time invited him and his wife to go out to dinner with them. And they went to Chi Chi's, the Mexican restaurant, and said the man ordered margaritas. This man was a former drunkard. He couldn't believe it. And he began to question, what are you doing? And the man said, well, there's nothing wrong with drinking as long as we drink in temperance. And, and the man said, I was a drunk of the devil. He don't want me to drink one margarita. He wants me to drink that whole pitcher. Think about it. That's a leader in that church. A leader there. They were all smiles, all fun and games. Everything looked good on the surface. Had to be around them a while to see the compromise. Amen. Now, growth, and I want to say this, growth doesn't necessarily mean compromise or leaven. We know that's true. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 souls were added to the church, but they repented. In other words, there was the fruit of substance in the life. Whenever there's growth and there's no change of life, no change of life produced by that ministry, then that's always a sign of leaven. Whenever there's repentance, there will be change. And listen to me, what's true for the individual is true for the church and vice versa. All the way through this message. Amen. the last effect, it will, if tolerated, destroy and bring ruin to the whole, as the Bible teaches. There's no escape in that. I mean, this is something that if you just meditate on it, a little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. There's no escape in that. No matter how you try to, you know, change it or, or cheer it up or add another twist to it, no, a little bit is going to bring ruin. There's only one remedy and one preventative. And the Bible says, purge out. And that is that preventative. That is Amen. The remedy purge out there for the old leaven that ye may be a new lump as ye are unleavened for even Christ, our Passover sacrifice for us. What's the remedy? Purge the house. What's the remedy? Cleanse the temple. Cleanse the temple. And you know, Jesus, that's one of the first things that He did in His ministry. He was come as a lamb to slaughter, as a Savior to the children of Israel. And He knows this principle, for He is the Word of God. doesn't matter how much He preaches. If He can die for them on the cross, the first thing He's got to show them is the temple has to be cleansed. It's got to be purged. Amen. That's the first thing. Purge means to cleanse thoroughly. In the authority and the power of the Holy Ghost, we're to cleanse our temples, whether that's individual or corporate. This church, it has to remain pure at the expense of everything. You've heard me quote, I forgot, I forgot who said it, but there's something worse than offended people. And that's an offended holy God. There's something worse than not having people in the church, and that's not having God in the church. He's to receive the preeminence. For John 3 and 3, and every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. That's a mark of a man that believes that Jesus is soon to return. That's a mark of a church that truly believes 
Amen. And the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are purifying themselves. You know, when Jesus cleansed the temple in Jerusalem, He used two things. A message and a whip. Now that teaches us something. That teaches us that it requires both to cleanse that temple. If Jesus needed a whip and a message to cleanse the temple, then we're going to need a whip and a message. Not just a message and not just a whip. Now a whip's not a problem in this hour because nobody wants to use a whip. But there's a lot of people that have enough backbone to preach, but they won't do the rest of it. It requires both to cleanse the temple. Amen? The message represents preaching. And the Bible says, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all wrong suffering and doctrine. That's the true marks, the true elements of preaching, reproving, rebuking, and exhorting. All three of those have a negative connotation. Amen. You hear people say, why don't you encourage me? Well, I believe in encouragement. Amen. I'm not saying that that's wrong, but that's not part, amen, of this Bible program. We've got to deal. The sin is what kills. Amen. I listen to me. God's people don't need somebody passing by every three or four hours, patting them on the head and telling them God is pleased with you and God loves you. That does a great disservice to the death and the barrel, the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't need to tell you all the time that Jesus loves you. He died for you, and that ought to be settled in your spirit. I'm not saying it's wrong to say that. I'm just saying what's going to kill is not you perhaps going through a season wondering about some aspect of the attributes of God, but sin is going to kill you. That's what we need to be most watchful about. Ian Bounds made this wonderful comment. He said, deal with sin and not with the sinner is a maxim of popular acceptance. Now, he uttered this in the late 1800s, if I'm not mistaken, perhaps in the early 1900s. I believe he lived right past 1900. I'm not sure about that, but this is nearly uh, about a hundred years ago. And so there's nothing new under the sun. In other words, love the sinner, hate the sin. That's what he's talking about, this maxim. But like most popular maxims, when adopted by the pulpit, it makes havoc of truth and righteousness. The sin and the sinner are inseparable. Sin is not an abstract entity. It has its being through the sinner. Sin is not an accountable thing. The sinner is accountable for the sin. The only way to destroy the sin is through the sinner. Our gospel is a personal gospel. Thou art the man is the epitome of its purpose. To separate and purge the person from his sins is the chief aim of the gospel. All forms of sin and wickedness grow up and luxuriate under the eye and voice of preaching that never disturbs the conscience nor awakens opposition. The preaching that has no repellent power will have no attractive force. The preaching that is not direct in its aim is a blank cartridge fired in the air. Amen to that. Good preaching, Brother Bounds. Amen. The Word of God. We must preach.
preach, it was to cleanse the temple. It says of Jesus that He might sanctify and cleanse His bride with the washing of the water of the Word. Now, I'd like you to go out here one day and roll around in the mud and then come around and let Mom and Daddy try to, try to cleanse you with air and rub you all over with air. They're not going to be able to cleanse you. They're going to have to have some water to get that dirt off. And the Word of God is absolutely necessary for cleansing. But Jesus just didn't use a message. He also used a whip. And that represents church discipline. There were things in that temple that were there that had no business being there. You hear me? Jesus didn't want them there. His Father wanted them gone out. And so He went and braided a whip. You know, we see this same thing here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. For verily, this is Paul's judgment regarding this situation of the Corinthian church. For I verily is absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that so has done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such a one unto Satan. For the destruction of the flesh, that the Spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. That doesn't seem too loving, does it? But it is loving. You know who it's loving? It's loving God. And then it's loving your brother. Amen. 